Welcome to episode 12 of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. Now, I'm going to step up right now and take responsibility for the audio issues on this episode. I lost my end of the audio for the first part of the second half of the episode, and the backup copy we used sounds horrific. I am so, so sorry about this. It's entirely my fault, and I apologize to you. And frankly, I know I probably sound pretty horrible right now. I'm, I'm recording this on my phone instead of our setup because we're actually upgrading our studio right now. And we're still working out some kinks in the system. So don't worry about that, though. This episode is amazing. We have with us guests Sam Stewart and Sean Patrick Fannin, who gave us a lot of useful information about getting started in the gaming industry. So if your New Year's resolution is to have a career change into gaming, or if you just want to hear some cool anecdotes from behind the curtain, this episode's for you. So grab a drink at the bar and have a seat at the table in the corner, and we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hello gamers, I'm Daryl Mott Jr. from Anacool News Tabletop and the Gamers Tavern Podcast, which you probably know because I'm betting I was just talking a second ago. I'm sure you already know about DriveThruRPG as it is the biggest repository for digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun, Battletech, World of Darkness, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. And sometimes there are pennies on the dollar because, face it, PDFs can sometimes be so much more convenient than print copies, but if you need print copies, they sell those too. So if you want to support the Gamers Tavern podcast, click on the affiliate links in the show notes and check out Drive Through RPG. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Gamers Tavern. I'm Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have a special guest with us, uh, Mr. Sam Stewart from Fantasy Flight Games. How's it going, guys? Sam, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. What is your gaming character sheet? Well, uh, let's see. It's probably going to be uh, reasonable intelligence but low on dexterity. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a great thing today. It was... How to understand these six attributes via tomatoes. <laughs> okay. Strength strength is the ability to crush a tomato. Dexterity is the ability to throw a tomato. Constitution is the ability to eat a bad tomato. Intelligence is the ability to know that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. <laughs> and charisma is the ability to sell a tomato-filled fruit salad. Wow, that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good list there. I like that. But and of course, the immediate response was, "Isn't that tomato-based fruit salad just salsa?" Next response was, "Okay, we found our bard." <laughs> Perfect. But let's uh, let's let's not stop Sam from telling listeners just who he is and what they may know him from. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, that's quite all right. Well, I have worked for uh, Fantasy Flight Games for the past. Uh, Jeez, it's been more than five years now. and <laughs> You're the old man there, aren't you? At this point, I almost am, at least in temperament. But I have had <laughs> the opportunity to work on a bunch of the different role-playing games in Fantasy Flight Games, even though I didn't even start as a role-playing producer or designer there. But um, I worked with Ross on Rogue Trader, 
then transitioned over into Black Crusade, who some people may some people may recognize. And le- most recently, it has been Edge of the Empire and our Star Wars role-playing game line for me. And what's the newest uh, Star Wars RPG that's uh, sort of on the horizon? Oh, uh, yes. Um, Age of Rebellion is actually... Uh, that's not actually my baby. That uh, that belongs to uh, Andrew Fisher, but uh, we've been... You remember the uh, studio and uh, Fantasy Flight, Ross. It's a very collaborative environment, so we've all been working on it a little bit. Absolutely. That's awesome to hear. Uh, that's I, coming out in, uh, I think, February or March? Or, I'm sorry, it's like quarter one, 2014 or something like that? Something like that. I actually um, okay. don't know the exact release dates off the top of my head, but... When you know when you're shipping things over from being printed in other countries, that can be a little tricky to to point to guess. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I'm I'm actually very familiar with that uh, issue as well. Oh yeah. So um, we're going to talk tonight about a topic that I think is very in, uh, near and dear to the hearts of most of our listeners, and that is how do you get into the gaming industry? How do you become a a part of this thing that we love so much? But before we get into that. Uh, too deeply. There's an, uh, another thing that we do. We talk about what we've been playing lately on the show. So why don't we start with the guest, Sam? What have you been playing lately? Let's see. Um, do you want role-playing games or just games in general? You know, games in general is 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 fair uh, for this this podcast. So you know, hit hit us with what you think is the most interesting and fun things you've been playing lately. Oh, perfect. Well, I have been playing a little Age of Rebellion. Um, I figure that's almost uh, expected. Are you are you playing a Jedi? Um, I am not. I am playing a world weary um, combat medic who's uh, <laughs> who's um, basically he is the hipster of combat medics in the rebellion because he was in it before anyone else joined. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> I was fighting the Emperor when it was cool. No, no, before, before it was cool. Before it was sir. cool. Yeah, before it was cool. He, I was frozen in carbonite before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I hoped that one would land. I wasn't sure. Nice. No, no, I appreciate it. No, no, he, he joined the uh, rebellion before the Death Star got blown up and uh, thinks everyone else <laughs> oh, uh, so just jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, they're all Johnny Come Latelys, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> they don't know what it's like to, to be lo- the few and the, the proud. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. I like that. It's a good character right away. I can see yeah. that. And then in the non-RPG uh, arena, we I've been doing some uh, Borderlands 2, which... Uh, oh, great game. Yes. Uh, love, I love Tiny Tina. We just, That is a fantastic character they came up with. And then uh, StarCraft 2, actually. You know, I just recently did a blog post about my favorite uh, Xbox 360 games, you know, looking back at the console... And uh, of the top ten lists that I put out there, the number one game that I played uh, on the Xbox 360 was Borderlands 2. Unquestionably. Yeah, I can totally see that. Great gameplay, solid aesthetic, and the writing was top-notch. Absolutely top-notch. And it's the writing that really sells it for me. If it was just the gameplay, it would be, yeah, this is another shooter, and it's good, but it's not amazing. But the writing pushes it over the top. Well, the characters too. I mean, if you if you cannot find some kind of inspiration for an NPC for your campaign from Borderlands Two, and it could be any campaign, I don't care what game you're playing, uh, you're just not trying very hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fair. So, well, uh, so anything else, or is that pretty much the the list? Let's just say, oh, I did spend a uh, I did spend last Saturday teaching um, a bunch of 
12, 10 to 12 year olds how to play D&D 3.5 at the uh, local library. Oh, hey, that was pretty cool. Did you uh, sign up to do that? Was it kind of a... Well, um, Katrina Ostrander, one of our uh, co-workers, had arranged for it, arranged for it to happen. So I uh, showed up with uh, Max, another one of our co-workers, and three of us were doing it. We were running uh, the, what is it, the Vault of the Draco Lich? Oh, neat. Uh, it's actually a D&D Next adventure designed to be run by multiple groups, and then they're all trying to accomplish a single mission. They come together in the end and basically, well, try and kill a Draco Lich. That, that's the one that was cross-platform, wasn't it, where they published it for 3.5, 4th, and Next? Yeah, exactly. Or I think we have a different one. Uh, was that one? Did nope, you guys break both. it up where each one of you was running it under a different system? Um, we did not run it under a different system, because, but we did run it in different groups. And to be perfectly honest, the uh, I was impressed with how easy it was to adjust the D&D Next stats on the fly to 3.5. Um I mean, you know, it it helps if you it helps that everyone's you know so familiar with with old school Dungeons and Dragons to begin with. But making that transition was actually pretty simple. You know, I want to make a really quick point here. Our listeners, uh, if if you want to hear Daryl and I kind of go deep into the discussion of the different D and D editions, uh, that was a dish, that was episode, actually episode uh, eleven. It was the one right before 11. this. Yeah. So if you want to hear us, you know, talk about in wax poetic about all the different uh, editions of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, definitely check check out the previous uh, podcast to this one. But uh, Sam, I think that's really awesome that you guys, particularly the the RPG department at Fantasy Flight, is uh, is doing that kind of outreach to to kids and get you know get people uh, into the into the hobby. I think that's awesome. Yeah, bringing the, the next generation. <laughs> it was a lot of fun actually, although. And I'm sure you can appreciate this. Uh, teaching role-playing games to um, to a bunch of kids sometimes devolves into here. Roll this die. Did you get this? You chop his head off. It's sweet. <laughs> and uh, not worrying too much about the rules, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Daryl, what have you been up to? I actually have a perfect segue from him talking about how easy it was to convert next to third three point five. I'm currently working on a project I've been toying with. Since last year, when the playtest first came out for D&D Next, where I've been doing a, ha- a home conversion of the Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh, really? To Next, and it is, especially with the newest playtest packet, the last one, it is so smooth to just drop those monsters in, and it is really easy to reskin them. The it, and the rules just work great with the tone and the style. Uh, I, I've only gotten up to the. Uh, what the hell is it called? The little dungeon that's outside of Omelette? No, the I moat house. I'm bl- oh, yeah. The moat house. Yeah, the, that's right. I, that I've, is, I've got, it's the moat I've house, got, yeah. I've, yeah, I've gotten through the whole moat house, which means I've gotten all of T1 done, but it was just so simple to just drop stuff in and everything else. It works great, and I cannot wait to be able to see it in action. And I'm also about to start painting my uh, Dwarven Forge that I got from the Kickstarter. Uh, not really painting per se, I'm just giving them a quick dry brush because like I've said many times on this podcast, I suck at painting, but I think dry brushing is something I won't be able to screw up too much. <laughs> <laughs> just well, just so I can get a little yeah. bit of shadow on them. And, they look great unpainted, but I just want a little bit more texture. And I also got that accessory pack that has like the piles of gold and the beds and all that crap. And those 
you really need to paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna get some help before I touch those. Just though. yeah, just some basic techniques can really uh, add a lot of texture to those those dwarven forge pieces, and they look great. They well, look great, and they're durable as hell. I'm, I'm actually about to write up for Anacol News probably here shortly uh, a stress test I ran on one of them. That's awesome. Where I scientifically did what I could to destroy one, and I haven't completed the test yet. I think the next one is going to be literally throwing it against my concrete porch as hard as I can. <laughs> that sounds scientific. That's to the me. next test to do any damage whatsoever to the things. So, well, well uh, if, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if uh, you don't mind me uh, diverging into uh, model painting for a second, uh, <laughs> Sam may know something about model painting just a little bit. <laughs> I've got a few 40k and fantasy armies around for uh, Warhammer, but um, you may even have some trophies for for painting quality. I do, although <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, if you want a uh, easy way to paint up tr- stuff like that terrain, dry brushing's great, and then also inking, um, picking up a few washes. A lot of uh, Games Workshop and Privateer Press both make uh, decent washes, and um, putting them over the top of um, once you're finished painting, just covering in the wash, the effect is actually really impressive, and it's super easy to do. Especially with something like gold. You just paint it a blank color of gold and then wash it in a brown or a black, and it seeps into the cracks, it looks like shadows, and it's almost no work. You know, I was I just thinking... I was a just... lot very handy, especially with the, the gold and the bed and the, the doors, trying to get into the cracks and everything. I didn't even think of that, so. Thank you very much. You just mm-hmm. saved me a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that came to my mind when you said you were painting, you know, trying to get, uh, like, s- some shadows and stuff in there was, uh, like, a stain uh, of some mm-hmm. kind or a wash was absolutely the first thing that came to my mind. Well, so. the, the raw minis on those on the terrain are actually kind of dark, so I was, I figured dry brushing would be the best thing for, like, the walls and the floors to kind of highlight the tops of them a little bit and leave the darker material underneath for the cracks. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. But for, But for all the other stuff, yeah, that's going to come in handy for all the little accessories and everything. And if you ever want to get really crazy, you can dry brush and wash it. Okay, let's not go. To <laughs> yeah, let's not. Let's not get insane here. Remember, you're talking. You're talking to the guy who managed to screw up a BattleTech mini, whose whole point was to paint it silver. <laughs> all right, all right. With spray paint with primer built in, and I screwed it up. Oh, now I don't. Enough. I don't actually have any miniatures. I, I've been painting lately. Um, I moved to a new house uh, this month. So, mm-hmm. in fact, all of my, my miniatures, all of my paints, all of my tools, everything for painting is um, basically in my closet in a box uh, because, uh, well, that's what happens when you move and you haven't, you know, it takes time to get everything unpacked and put in the right place. So, uh, no... I got stuff packed from 2005 when I moved to Austin the first time. So, yeah, so no, no model painting uh, just yet. But um, I do have to say, like, for some strange reason for me... Uh, the end of 2013 has been kind of like the super retro gaming hour for Ross Watson. In in the tabletop arena, my friends and I have been playing Marvel Superheroes, the TSR basic adva- uh, advanced basic set um, from the, the old uh, face rip. Yeah, the old face rip from the old. Uh, I believe it's from the uh, late 80s. Oh, wow. And yeah, we've been we've been playing that and just enjoying the hell out of it. It's it's a I think it was like eighty six, eighty seven something. It's a really fun rules light system for superheroes, and uh, you know it just it just kind of allows us to throw together a beer and pretzels game right right away and just and just get into it. Um, and of course, uh, I have been also um, doing some more play tests with Accursed. Oh yes, uh, more more Savage Worlds goodness. So uh, that's what I've been playing in the tabletop arena. 
And to continue with the uh, the Blast in the Past theme, um, I've been playing uh, Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition, Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition, actually. Uh, Still working on that? I Well, there's there's not only the the main game, there's also Throne of Bale as part of it. And they put in a new uh, mode, which is called the Black Pits, which is kind of a, uh, a side story that involves you and a group of characters that you create fully. These are not the, uh, the companion characters that you can fight in different uh, interesting and challenging tactical battles in an arena, and then there's like a story around you being captured that you have to eventually break out of the arena. So, yeah, they, there's just so much content in that game that, I yes, I've been playing that for weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> and on what? top of all that, <laughs> on top of all that, be, because I did recently this Xbox 360 retrospective, I realized that I uh, hadn't played Mass Effect 2 in a couple of years, and I wanted to dive back into that and and just sort of refresh well, my memory. You're not going through any time sinks whatsoever at all in video games, <laughs> are you? What's so up I've, next, Skyrim? Uh, well, just you know, a quick session of that. Just a quick session of Skyrim, yeah. <laughs> so those are the things that I've been sort of you know messing around with in the in my free time. But um, that's what we've that's what we've been playing. Mm-hmm. Well, Mass Effect Two is super legit. No, I'm, so I was about to say, uh, you said quick session of Skyrim, and I'm like, man, I haven't <laughs> even finished that yet. <laughs> I know someone who has had it since launch day, who still hasn't gotten through the like the the first main like third of it, because they keep reading the books. <laughs> and we now have a new guest joining us in the Gamers Tavern tonight. It is Sean Patrick Fan, and welcome to episode twelve of the Gamers Tavern podcast. Uh, glad to be here. Sorry I was a little bit late, but stuck in traffic. <laughs> well, parking Damn your... Damn kobolds on the road. Yeah, parking your horse out front of the tavern can be a bit of a problem from time to time. Yeah, the constables, they just had lost complete control. There was hobgoblins, there was booze, a couple of bad, pissed off dwarves. I don't know. <laughs> booze where? Where's booze? <laughs> we are in a tavern, Daryl. So there's that. We want to say uh, it's it's great having you with us, Sean, tonight, because we are talking about uh, how to get into the gaming industry. But before we do that, I would like you to uh, answer a quick question. We do this to all our guests. Could you tell our listeners what your gaming character sheet is? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, um, <laughs> do we start from the beginning or do we just kind of count backwards from now? Sean, it's your character sheet. How, how, how is it listed on your character sheet? Oh, geez. Uh, well, I think if we were going to talk in Savage World terms, which is the system I'm most well-known for these days, I definitely would have a veteran possible. Well, now, no, no, I got to say, the guy who created the system calls me legendary. So I'm legendary rank uh, in terms of game design, <laughs> just because Shane Hensley says so, not because I think so. Uh, but I've been doing this for, well, since 1988 uh, professionally. I started in 1977. Uh, we were role-playing and gaming, and actually 77 is when I first started creating what became Shintar, uh, which is my epic fantasy setting, which is another one of the things I'm probably most well-known for. It's a uh, Savage Worlds uh, epic high fantasy setting. But I'm also very well-known, uh, as Sam can can speak on, uh, for Star Wars uh, work. Did a lot of work, uh, well, actually not a whole lot of work, but did some work on some stuff for the first version of Star Wars, and I've done considerably more for the current iteration uh, of Star Wars. By, fir- by first version, you're talking about the old D6 version? <laughs> yeah, which version? <laughs> the D6 version, the D20 version, the Saga version? No, no, no. I, I worked on the original D6 version, and now I've worked on the, the Fantasy Flight version. Uh, 
I, yep, I bypassed all that D20-ish crap, so, you know. Well, uh, there, there's no hate on the podcast, uh, okay. so it's fair to say that you may have been disappointed with, you know, iterations, uh, though I think uh, definitely my favorite iterations of Star Wars so far are the D6 and the uh, Edge of the Empire uh, editions. And that seems to be pretty much universal. My apologies for using the word crap. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm still shook <laughs> up about the dwarves and the hobgoblins and, and the spilled beer, but... <laughs> Um, but, that's uh, a good excuse that's the best one I've heard but, actually. No, I've actually been very pleased uh, the fact is I just got a, 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 a note from somebody on Facebook just as I was uh, trying to find you and, and connect with you <laughs> to say hello I'm out here um, uh, but I just got a note from somebody uh, who was really excited about the Explorers book that just came out Enter the Unknown and was was really happy and was sending me a, a big congratulations on the work in that one. So I mean, it's it's some exciting stuff. So Star Wars, the Fantasy Role Playing Gamers Bible, Shintar, other Savage Worlds work along those lines. Uh, a lot of work. My original foundation work was done with Champions. Uh, yes, it was with some fantastic <laughs> products for my favorite edition of Champions, Fourth Edition. So I've got a lot of back. Okay, let's let, hold on, Sean. Let Ross fanboy out a little bit more over Champions. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, my love for the hero system is well known, uh, and part of that love comes from the vibrancy of Fourth Edition's uh, uh, supplements because there were just so many good ones. And I've got some, some interesting the, news for you along those lines. But uh, some of the best ones that I can recall were uh, actually written by Sean Fannin, which uh, was uh, books like High Tech Enemies and Corporations and uh, Allies. Uh, things like that. Appreciate that. And like I said, I've got some interesting news for you. I don't know if you want to reveal it here on this podcast or save it for another one, but I've had some interesting conversations in the background. But let's just say I'm working on some new superhero stuff that may bring some old stuff back. Ooh. Oh, are we talking about Doc Digital? Or are we talking about uh, <laughs> Montgomery International? And, and, and Master Control and all the rest, yes. Oh my god, really? Okay, these are the guys from <laughs> Sean's 4th Edition games, and... Uh, there's some there's some fantastic villains and and setups and things that he does there, so I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, hopefully we'll okay, s- Ross. Uh, do we need do we need to give you a moment to go? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, or I'm experiencing okay, some 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 very deep fanboy joy right Sorry, now. Sorry, so Sam, awesome. didn't mean to didn't mean to come <laughs> in. No, no, that's quite all, quite all right. <laughs> uh, no, that's excellent news. That's excellent news, Sean. All right, so thank you. That's your gaming character sheet to uh, get that straight, and. We were just we just recently wrapped up talking about what we've been playing lately. So uh, if you could quickly maybe fill us in on uh, what you've been playing lately. Well, uh, Shintar's been eating my life ever since the Kickstarter and the launch of uh, Justice in Life, which is the big, huge shared campaign thing that we're doing globally, which has taken that whole living campaign to a, the nth degree and actually treating each and every person's gaming experience as though it is a legitimate impact on continuity. That's been a, a huge brain-breaking, oh-my-God thing. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. And I'm running three different campaigns just in in touch to that because people are so excited about it. But I've also been very heavily involved in that superhero stuff that I was talking about, uh, doing a lot of development work along those lines. Um, I really want to be playing other stuff. Um, (laughs) I I really, really do. And I'm anxious to play something else sometime soon. But... uh, it hasn't been a, a huge opportunity for me. Uh, but when we do play, when I do get a chance to sit at the table, it's usually Savage Worlds. Well, there's an interesting point about that, that there is a, a crossover adventure being written by the Accursed Trio, 
that mm-hmm. links the world of Accursed to Shintar. And <laughs> there is a, another adventure that is being written by Sean Fannin that links Shintar to Accursed. Yeah, and we've actually been having that, the, 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 the foundations of that are actually happening in the official Justice canonical Life, yeah. Justice in Life campaign. There's been a whole lot of stuff already happening with the Blood Witch. She's been impacting Shintar dramatically. There's been a huge storyline going on with that. <laughs> it's, dun, dun, it's awesome. Dun. It's awesome. I was going to say, I want to take a, a quick minute, because I've, I've, I've told you this, Ross, but uh, I didn't get a chance to tell uh, Mr. Fan in this, but congratulations to both of you on getting your uh, Kickstarters funded. Thank you very I'm, much. I am actually looking really forward to uh, seeing how they turn out, especially when I get my copy of Accursed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it won't be long before that is uh, will be winging its way to backers. Sam, so. do you uh, do you have uh, at least a PDF of Shintar? Um, I will probably be picking one up at some point here. Uh, no, no, I got you hooked up. Don't worry about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, so. I'll take care of that. And the press <laughs> wouldn't mind review copies. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I have my copy as a backer. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, there you go. But I'm a, I'm a reporter, so I'm poor. <laughs> no worries. Oh, please. We all work, we work in the game industry. We're all poor. I was about to say, that kind of leads us into our topic. It really does. Because we're tonight, talking about the game industry in yeah, general. And, and tonight's topic is all about how you get paid to do what you love. So, absolutely. We should be talking about how people get into the industry. And... Maybe we should talk first. I, I think maybe the first question I want to pitch to our guests, and um, I, I think we'll, since Sean is the, late, the, the recent arrival, we'll hit Sean first and give Sam a chance to, uh, to answer after Sean. But what are the most common jobs available in the gaming industry today, the tabletop RPG industry? Uh, well, if, you, if you're an artist, you can't not find work if you've got any talent at all. Yeah, that's uh, anybody with artistic ability who can can do some good illustration and get it done uh, relatively on time and uh, according to to specs. There's just such a demand right now. The only problem there is uh, it, it's not even hard. To, it's not even that hard to get paid. Uh, actually, it's not that hard to get paid anymore for anybody. But you know, it's 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 a matter of there's a lot of you out there. So you know, but it, I mean, there's there's just. Well, really, there's, there's a lot of work for artists. There's a lot of work for editors. There's a lot of work for pretty much anybody. Layout. Let me tell you something. If you know what you're doing with layout, and I mean graphic design elements and, and putting a book together and getting it ready both for PDF publication and for you know digital print publication, uh, that is a huge hole right now that uh, anybody with any real skill and ability uh, will be turning down offers. There's almost no question because there's just so much work for you out there. Writers and creators, still that same struggle because everybody's got an idea. Everybody's got uh, a, a great thought for what would make a cool adventure or a cool this or a cool that. And you're really still competing with a huge body of people trying to, to, to uh, get in. But it's a hell of a lot easier to either A, get a license to publish for you know the the property you like even if you're not going to work directly for the publisher or b just go ahead and freaking do it on your own i mean that's something that's so much easier now than it ever was and and we're going to talk about all those things as well uh later on uh because those are all excellent points that's an excellent answer sean uh what what about you sam what do you think uh are the the jobs that are available out there Hmm. well let's well let's see i think uh mr fannin put it put it right when he said that really 
there is definitely a lot of there's definitely a lot of work for artists. I think a broader point you can draw from that is there's a lot more work out there for um, people with technical skills, English language skills such as editing and proofreading, and um, creative art skills than there is for um, for people who just can write. I'm not certainly not knocking the creative side of it because obviously that's vitally important to the industry. But when push comes to shove, as you put out, everybody's got an idea. And usually when you're making a role-playing game, it's not about coming up with a new idea for a role-playing game. It's about getting the ideas you already have on paper and um, into a book printed and um, sent into stores. I would say that when it comes to the company side of things, the um, the non-freelance side of things, people should also consider that um, most companies that do role-playing games are regular companies. They have a lot of jobs and you know job openings that you might not think about when you think about a, a game company, but they need um, people who can do marketing. They need people who can do sales. Um, they need people. Like IT and web design and stuff like that, accounting, administrative assistant. Exactly. Um, HR, um, warehouse work, even. I mean, it's not incredibly glamorous, but uh, it's not. It's, well, you know. let's, let's be clear. We're As, talking about, though, we're talking about big game companies when we say that there's these other types of jobs available because there's kind of like a, a in my opinion, there's kind of like a three tier system of, of RPG game companies right now. There's the top tier. Uh, which is, in my opinion, basically Wizards of the Coast and Paizo, which just employ, you know, dozens, you know, of people to do nothing but create role-playing games. Yeah, these are the places that have, like, huge office brawls. Yeah, I've actually for visited sure. Paizo recently, so <laughs> I can tell you that for true. You'll have to and, tell me uh, what that's like sometime. I've always wondered what their offices are like. I, I will tell you about it sometime. Um, then there's kind of the, the second tier down, which are companies that have, you know, more than a few people doing RPGs all the time, but they may do other things, and they may have lots and lots of jobs that are sort of related to RPGs, and, and this is where I think, uh, now Sam can disagree with me, uh, but Fantasy Flight Games would be my suggestion for that tier. I, I kind of, I almost put them in the first tier just because of how spread out they well, are the, in terms the fact, of both role-playing and board but the, games. The, thing, and the difference between them, though, is that there's a very small team at Fantasy Flight that works on role-playing games, as opposed to... Like Paizo and Watsi both employ, as I said, dozens of people who do nothing but make role-playing games. No, that's to- um, I think that's fair. Our company pretty much employs eight people work, um, full-time working on role-playing games at this point. Which is a big team. It is. <laughs> yeah. Because most of these role-playing game companies, from what I understand, even the more big-name ones that you probably know, like, for example, Catalyst Game Labs, as far as I understand, they don't have an office per se it's no, run yeah. pretty much out of someone's house and a small handful of full-timers um you know and you you want to look at pinnacle for example is another one that's pretty well known again everyone's working from home and i, I if i'm not mistaken green ronin as well i yeah. think uh, chris Premas works out of his house chris and nicole pretty much work out of their house they they have a i believe annual maybe biannual uh summit where they get everybody together to get face-to-face time with each other uh but yeah they're all remote and even in those situations, you can still the the definition of full time gets a little woozy yeah. there because it's not necessarily we're not necessarily talking about you know are they full nine to five clocking at the office right it's it's you know they're all putting in crazy hours but how they're yeah. getting paid gets to be an interesting thing too because royalties are back 
their back in a huge way as far as, you know, people are not necessarily getting paid a salary or an hourly rate anymore. I mean, yes, at the top levels and, and, and they're just under the top levels. I'm sure that like, like, you know, Sam and, and the eight people at Fantasy Flight, yes, they, they've got a salary, I'm sure. But, but a lot of us are working on just what we're making per sale and we're splitting that. Fortunately, the tools exist so that people can get paid right away instead of waiting three months to a year before they see even their first check. And I think, I think it's fair to say that we're talking about there's basically three types of, of employments uh, in the gaming industry. There's full-time, which we've said is very rare. Mm-hmm. There's freelancing. Which is very common. I mean, I, I, I want to kind of put on the same tier as part-time because I don't know anybody who's part-timer who isn't just a freelancer, really. And uh, then there's basically interns. And that's not only, like, actual interns, but uh, people who are basically just working for the exposure or putting it in their portfolio, which is something I totally which, do not endorse, FYI. There, there's so. been a big, big kerfluffle online in the past two or three years about anyone who posts anything about, oh, we want this done. We're not paying right now, but it'll look great in your portfolio or on your resume. And then the backlash that you will get from every single professional freelancer out there. Well, now there are le- there are legitimate will- there are some legitimate internship programs that should not be tarred with the same brush. Oh, certainly. I, I believe that both Fantasy Flight Steve Jackson do have internships, and I think that. Uh, I'm pretty certain that Paizo and and Watsi also uh, have well, some. I don't game know if Watsi does per se, but I know Hasbro. Ha- has Hasbro certainly does. Programs. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We do have an internship um, internship programs, and uh, one of the things we try and do is work through local colleges as well. So, um, even if the internships are unpaid, I believe they can receive college credit for it, which you know isn't isn't as great as being as being paid, but it's certainly and, a little better than nothing. And I. I do want to clarify what I said. What I'm talking about isn't internships. Internships is a really organized. It's like, okay, you come to work in our offices. You learn what the industry's like because you're just starting out. You're a student. What I'm talking about are the people who post like Craigslist ad or forum posts or whatever saying, yeah. oh, hey, I need a cover for my new book that I just kickstarted. Does anyone want to do it for the credit? Yeah, this is not no, exactly. This is not restricted just that's to RPGs the shade, That's the shady either. thing I'm kind of talking about. I saw a Craigslist ad just yesterday for, you know, it said aspiring authors, uh, send us your manuscript, and if we like it, we will we will publish it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's gonna happen. <laughs> you know, yeah, s- send us your 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 manuscript without any contract, and we will totally pay you for it. We promise. <laughs> and, and that's one thing I, I wanted to back up a little bit here and talk about uh, when we're talking about the jobs that are available. One thing that you guys kind of made clear, and I'm gonna put this into a little bit. Because, again, I'm with Anacool News, so I'm thinking in film terms. There's what's called above the line and below the line in the film industry. Above the line would be, you know, the director, the writer, the actors. Those are the people who do all the creative stuff. Then there's below the line. That's the grips, the electricians, the catering. That's all the people who do all the support work. And I'm just wanting to clarify that I'm understanding correct. What you guys are saying is pretty much it's a lot more difficult to break into that sort of above the line where... I'm a writer, I'm a game designer, I'm whatever, than it is to do the more nuts and bolts grunt work of editing, proofreading, uh, administrative assistant, the guy that cleans out the trash cans. And I I hate to include art in that category, but it's just because the way the industry works that art is 
not really part of the design and writing process. Well, it, it can be. A am I am I completely off base on here, or does that sound about right? No, that sounds pretty right to me. And I think, no, um, no, I think that is. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I think on one level, it's very. It's never been easier for um, somebody to break into the above-the-line part of the industry because of the, all the options you have for self-publishing, for just putting your game up on the internet, making PDFs, selling it through um, companies like DriveThru, RPG, st and stuff like that. But I think it's much harder to be, to be making a full-time living off of that kind of work and it's also harder to become a recognized name for doing that. Um, I think and there are, there are people who've done it. Um, Fred, uh, Fred Hicks is a really good example, but he worked he worked his butt off to get to where he is, and he did it. Oh yeah, he did it almost all entirely on his own, which is really impressive, just considering the the achievements he's made. Um, well, well, but I it think, is rare. I think I would agree with you. It's extremely rare. Yeah. Well, and and I think your analogy that of um, of the movie industry is great because for every successful actor, you know, for every Harrison Ford who started out as a carpenter and um, then you know became Han Solo and Indiana Jones, you have hundreds or thousands of actors who do a few commercial spots and end up and are still waiting tables, waiting for their big break. Exactly. Exactly. I would say it's a little different these days. Actually, I think it's a lot different these days because let's be completely fair here. Most of the bigger companies uh, and more established companies with the solid properties that you know and all that kind of stuff, they've got a pretty solid stable, and they occasionally will open the door uh, for a new talent, you know, and, and that kind of thing. But you know, for the most part, they're working with the people they're going to work with because they've got that solidity and that consistency of, of development going on. And so most of the new freelancers are really struggling to get in with the, the newer companies, the smaller companies, the ones that are doing strictly digital publishing to start with, at least, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's easier to find work and harder to get known for it, is really what I would that, say. That is it exactly. No, I totally agree with that. So let me ask you guys a question, and let's uh, do the same format we did last time. So Sean first and then Sam. If you had to give the listeners one thing to tell them about what they need to know about working in the role-playing game industry, what would that one thing be? Wow. <laughs> Just one thing. <laughs> uh, go with what you love, because if you do anything else, you're going to be miserable and dissatisfied. You're going to be dissatisfied with the money you're going to make, and you're going to be miserable doing the work. Okay. No, that's a good answer. That's, that's perfectly valid. What about you, Sam? One, just one thing. Um, just one thing. All right, all right, all right. I would say, I would say, specialize at being very good at something. Pick something you really enjoy doing and you're good at. Whether it's editing, whether it's proofreading, whether it's the actual game design, or it's managerial, like organizing two or three freelancers, you know, working together on a project. But pick one thing and be really good at it. And I think that increases your odds of actually getting um, actually getting work in the industry itself. That's great. And if I had to add one thing to that, I would say just just my one thing would be never ever work without a contract. <laughs> Ross, I think that's uh, I think that's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I really hate to ruin your what I think is a segue here, Ross. But I have one thing that I would like to add. No, go ahead, please. Which yeah. is. Don't quit your day job. No, that's an excellent point, too. Totally because fair. the 
Role-playing game industry is like any other in- in entertainment industry, whether it's movies, film, television, publishing in terms of novel writing or anything else, is that it's a fickle industry. And sure, you've got those big breakout success stories, but those are like the one in a thousand, one in a million shots. Always make sure to approach it intelligently. And if you have a job that supports you right now and gives you the free time Keep it. to work <laughs> on your game... Keep it until the very last, until you absolutely know, okay, I'm set for life now in this industry. I can now quit the day job and move on to this other thing. Well, until then, do not sacrifice your financial security. If you produce good stuff and you're capable of producing fun stuff, there are going to be people who like it and they're going to stay with you. They're going, as long as you keep producing, there are people who are fans of your work and supporters who will stick with you. And more than likely, if you establish enough of a fan base over time, and it does take time, there's, there, that's the, the, the really important point for people is, is and I guess I am speaking more from a, a creative professional standpoint of, of, you know, people who get known for their work and that kind of thing, uh, but also for editors, for layout people, for anybody else doing that kind of work. If you're doing good work, people will continue to work with you. If, you, if you're doing your stuff on time, you're, turning, you're, you're hitting deadlines or what have you, then, then the people who want to pay you to do that will do so. But the amount they're going to be able to pay you is never going to go up to any dramatic level, uh, at least not quickly, and getting enough of that kind of work, whether it is as a producer of content or it is an editor or it is a, a, a layout person or even uh, you know an artist, getting consistent flow of work that will become a reasonable full-time income the definition of a reasonable full-time income really has a lot, lot to do with you know whether you have uh living exp- living expenses that you can uh endure because they're supplemented by somebody else or uh or you don't mind ramen noodles and uh, not having a car i mean it really has a lot to do with what you're what you consider a, a living uh you know living income but the, it's going to take a long time and a lot and a lot and a lot of effort to to develop it up so you know don't quit the day job is an absolutely true statement but like I said, there's the fickle thing. I will say that if you are consistent in your productivity and you're consistent in your quality of work, it's not that fickle. And it can be very, very steady. It's just the trickle of income is, is small. No, that's an excellent answer. In, in other media, there's what's called the thousand fan hypothesis, which is that if you yourself have 1,000 fans, those fans will spend anywhere from 20 to $100 per year on your products. If it, it and that's across the board, no matter what it is that you do, if it's something creative, they're going to spend this about explain that much money. Bowl? <laughs> no German tax laws explains Uwe Boll, <laughs> and you. those tax loop. If you've noticed, Uwe Boll hasn't been making movies recently because they closed the tax loophole in Germany. Well, yeah, thank God. That's all I have to say about that. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, UA Bull and his terrible, terrible movies. <laughs> I think probably the burning question that any listener who's going to pick up and download this podcast, they're going to want to know the answer to this question probably more than any other. So I'm going to pitch this to Sam first and then Sean. But the question is, how do you get hired? You're gonna hate this answer, but uh, some, <laughs> um, sometimes it, there's just luck involved. No, now kidding aside, I think uh, perseverance, persistence, knowing the industry you're trying to get into, 
again, going back to the specialize in some and become really good at something you know the industry needs and you know build your resume to um, reflect that is all important. You need to know what companies are out there, know what companies are likely to be hiring, um, which companies are growing, and which companies are the smaller companies that are pretty stable and are probably not going to be hiring new new full-time employees. If we're yeah, sorry, I'm talking about full-time employees at this point, but a lot of the same applies to freelancers. You just there, I think there are more options with freelancers, but for full-timers, have a uh, have a good resume. Um, know which companies are trying to bring on new talent and pay attention because a lot of companies will announce that they are hiring and they may just throw up an announcement on their website, but you know, they don't, they don't necessarily make a huge deal about it. So you've definitely got to stay fancy flight posts on their Facebook when they have openings, right? Yep. We post on Facebook and our website. Um, and we just put up a small news article that says, hey, we're hiring people. Um, there are five new op- five new positions. Send your resume and your uh, cover letter to this email address. And now that, that's, that's something it. I wanted to ask you about. When you said uh, make sure you have a good resume, and again, I'm kind of playing the... I'm the guy who doesn't work in the game industry. I just report on it, which is one of those, if you can't do, then teach. <laughs> if you can't teach, then you become a reporter. But... <laughs> Say, me personally, I don't write for Anticool News, I don't have a podcast, I am a complete nobody, but I love games, I've been playing since I grew up, I want to get into the game industry, and I want a good resume, what can I do, on, what are you looking for on a good resume when it comes to hiring someone that doesn't have any game experience? I mean, sure, I can include like sample chapters, or some something I designed as like a, kind of like a portfolio in a way, but... On the resume itself, what are you guys looking for? Well, it's uh, funny you should say that, actually, because um, Ross already knows this, but when I started at Fantasy Flight, before that, I was actually working as a reporter. I was a, uh, my... A mild-mannered reporter. (laughs) Something like that. Wait, were you a real reporter, or you were a reporter like I'm a reporter? No, no, I I worked for a newspaper. It got, it was a weekly newspaper. Um, My Okay, real reporter, okay. My degree at um, university is journalism, print journalism specifically. No, it's full-on real reporter, and... So I had some game experience. I mean, I played games, and um, I was familiar with the industry, but as much as anything, I had been working for a couple years as a reporter out of college, and Fantasy Flight posted that they were looking for an editor, just somebody who was good with the English language. Um, I'm better at writing it than I am at speaking it, to be honest. So I put in for the uh, put in for the job and and uh, eventually I uh, eventually I got hired and I transitioned into role playing games after I was hired by Fantasy Flight and had worked there for a year or two as an editor but so what they're looking for on a resume is not necessarily like familiarity with games or I have designed this role playing game although that's obviously going to uh, certainly help but what they're going to be looking for on a resume is just like any company. They're going to be looking to see that you have work experience is always nice. The ability to um, handle a full-time job, obviously good. They 
college education, I mean, for so many companies in uh, the United States now is not a must, but it's certainly a um, certainly a selling point for someone's resume. But finally, they're going to be looking for whatever job they need to fill. If it's editing, they're going to be looking for somebody who's got background um, being able to proofread and or edit. You know, if, if it's uh, game design, then they'd be looking for that person who's like, ah, yes, I have designed... Uh, I designed this game in my spare time. And relevant skills. Relevant skills. Thank you. That's exactly it. Um, and really, so you're saying the role playing game industry and the tabletop game board game as well are a lot more. They can read through the job titles and look at the job descriptions and see what you're able to do and apply it to the job. Is that the way it kind of works? As I say, I've got years experience doing, say, web design and online content that would give them the idea that I know how to write and communicate. Is that kind of what you're saying? Or well, some of that also off base on that? Some of that also comes with your uh, cover letter, right? And, I mean, a lot of this is the uh, is just basic stuff when um, that people should know when they apply for jobs. Um, yeah. When you're writing a cover letter, you're talking about your strengths and why you'd fit into the job. You make reference to your resume. You'd say, um, I am a great writer and I would be a good writer for this creative writing job you posted because I have um, worked in the, this industry for five years and I've written this blog and and on your resume having a link to your blog obviously yeah well, let's uh let's let's uh, that's a good answer but it's that's really we're kind of drifting more to like the general job kind of advice I think so <laughs> no, let we, me ask um, absolutely let's, let's pitch it to Sean and you know once again same question how do you get hired that's Let's, let's 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 clarify expectations here. Hired for a gig, hired for a particular project, uh, versus hired to work long term with a company. I will tell you that the the most typical path, uh, because what we're talking about, we're talking about Fantasy Flight Games. Of course, that is an established company, but it's an established company with a broad base of product that's going out. So you know, it's 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 got a a, cor a corporate profile, a very cool corporate profile, but it is a corporate profile. Um, you know, but it's not common, right? It's not typical as far as the RPG game industry is concerned. So the whole cover letter and resume thing, very rare that that is even part of the process of, of working with anyone on anything. It, it can happen, but it's such a, 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 a small fraction of, of the experience. In most cases, what you're really looking at from, from what I have seen is, first off, network, network, network. It is very much more so in the games industry than any other industry I've worked in. And if you know anything about my background, you know I've worked in just about every industry except the medical, and that's just because I've got too queasy a stomach. But I've worked everywhere else for every He's other He's been a male industry. stripper, folks. Well, you know, if you're going to... Yeah, well, that's true. I have. I've done everything. Uh, I've been that's a cop. I've been... Yeah, so my point is, more so than any place else... Well, okay... Being a stripper really is pretty much also just meeting the right people too. But, um, <laughs> but it is. It's about networking. It's about who you meet. It's about who you know. For example, my name is inside Fantasy Flight published books because I know Ross. There's just no other way around that. There's no way else to explain that. Ross uh, and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, we met years ago. We stayed in touch and stayed friends. And and this is we talked about how incestuous this relationship, this this industry is. Well, it is. We're one giant family, and we're always hiring and talking to and and uh, pimping out each other to each other and and to, to our colleagues. I mean, it really is 
uh, a familial kind of experience, a big giant fa- you know family with all the problems that that comes into too. It's, yeah, but it's it's much less sexy than it sounds. Yeah, no, than Sean makes it sound. It's just, <laughs> it's it's, a, it's it's not an episode of Game of Thrones, people. Well, or sometimes it is because it can get that bloody sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, it really has a lot to do with with meeting the right people, getting to know them, talking to them. I, I got started in this industry because I went and helped the Hero Games and Iron Crown Enterprise guys set up their booth at Dragon Con uh, one year. And I had wanted to help them and get to know them so that I could pitch a product, which is how I started working for them back then. And it's still a lot uh, of that kind of thing. And that doesn't mean you need to, like, stalk people and, like, run up on them and every chance you get and throw yourself. But being in spaces where they are, talking to them either at conventions or in online environments... Uh, in an intelligent way that shows that you understand their properties, that you understand the content, that you understand what they're trying to communicate, and you can communicate with them effectively about it, is a great starting place for, you know, then, you know, I'd be interested in maybe doing something with this. I'd be interested in maybe doing an adventure or whatever. And yes, in that regard, if you did some free content, some small bits and pieces where you posted on their forums and said, Hey guys, I came up with this cool idea. And then when people ask questions, you jump in and answer them in an intelligent fashion. Those are really cool ways to show off that you are capable of, of a creative contribution. Now, as far as, you know, I'm interested in doing editing, I'm interested in doing layout. You are going to need to be able to show off the capacity to do those things. So outside credits, you know, I, I did this for the school newspaper. I did this for this, you know, this nonprofit thing, or I did this because of my day job and I'd like to export these ideas or export this, this talent set to, to working for you. That's a simple matter of, Hey, uh, I've got some editing back any experience and word came down the, the line that you guys were interested. A simple letter like that oftentimes will, will do just fine without having to go through a more formal process unless the company is set up for that. So it's That's really a matter what, what, of, you know, it's a lot more loosey goosey, I think, for most companies. <laughs> But that's a really good. Uh, that's a good answer, Sean. I mean, I think it's fair to say that you and I both. The the, the difference between you and I, as opposed to Sam or, or Daryl, is that, that you and I both got started as freelancers, and eventually became full timers, and are now kind of back to doing our own thing. And Sam got kind of the golden ticket where he was describing, you know, his experience as I started full time. No, no, that's very fair, and I think what's interesting about it is that, um, as you said, we're both, Sean and I are both coming at it from different um, different aspects. And in the end, what I think you can take away from it is, honestly, you'll probably need to, uh, you'll probably need to cultivate all of these skills. I definitely think it's important that you, um, if you, especially if you're working as a freelancer, you have to remember you're basically a company of one. And you need... <laughs> You you know you need to purport yourself uh, professionally. You need to um, show that you're a good risk for a company to take on when they're hiring you. But at the same time, you also need to be you need to be doing this networking. You need to know people. You need to get your name out there so that uh, people, you know, p- when people think to themselves, I need you know I need four writers for this adventure, or even just as uh, Ross um, as Ross just did with his uh, three person collaboration. Um, I want two uh, stand-up guys to uh, help uh, build a completely new game with. You know, it it comes down to both, I know these people and I've worked with them and they're great people and uh, they're my friends, but 
Also, I've seen the quality of the work they've done. I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's a combination of everything. So your, your point is, if, if I'm a loud mouth on the internet, and I, I like to think of myself as an internet tough guy, and I'm just going to yap it, you know, no, I'm, no, I'm just going to flap my gums at anything that comes down the line, no, no. you're saying I'm going to be a bad risk for an NDA if somebody wants to, <laughs> you know, maybe hire me to work on a, a, a secret IP that, that they don't want the word getting out? <laughs> the chickens will come home to roost. Could that possibly be what you're you're talking about there? Well, there's one thing that seems to be a commonality between what both Sean and Sam are saying here, if I'm reading this correctly, and it's, uh, I think Sean brought the keyword, which was networking, which Sam came in from a from one way, which he got his foot in the door by getting a job. He was doing editing work as opposed to actually game design. So again. That guy that if you're if you've got a bunch of IT experience, you've got a computer degree, you might go in as say a sysadmin at a, one of the larger companies, and then after you've met everyone and talked to everyone, oh hey guys, that, this game looks really cool. I think you should try this, this, and this, and you kind of get your way in because you you work with these people, you know them, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what Sean's saying as well is coming in from the outside is I, I'm assuming the best way to meet people to network would be conventions because that's kind of where gamers seem to congregate the most. Yeah, if you go to a convention and you're a freelancer, uh, I always, we, we had a, actually had seminars at Gen Con about this, and one of the big things we used to tell people is that if you're going to go to a convention and network, which is a great idea, make sure you bring like a business card with you that says who you are and what you do and how to contact you so that you can, you know, leave leave this information with people who want to hire you. A portfolio and a web page. Um, if you're a writer, a... Uh you know, a blog or even a web page with some of your, you know, writings that you're actually, that you want people to see. If you're an artist, a um, online portfolio. Honestly, setting up your own web page isn't all that hard in this day and age, and neither is getting your own business cards printed. And I think, uh, Ross, you're absolutely right. People see a business card and they're like, man, that guy is professional. He, you know, <laughs> Or at least I know how to get in touch with him. Oh, yeah. You know, and I know what his name for, is, and I know what he rec- does. For the record, I have business cards, so I don't know exactly how well that professional thing really comes <laughs> across. That's totally fair. Maybe it's sort of like it's sort of like getting a bachelor's degree these days. Um, it may not uh, make its money back, but if you don't have one, you're definitely not going to get hired on it um, in, uh, in pretty much any job. Okay, well, uh, we need now, to... Now, just to not crush the hopes of all you college dropouts out there... I do have a very nice uh, day job in software quality assurance, software QA. I do not have a bachelor's degree, and I've got this wonderful podcast and my glorious column in Annie Cool News. So not having a college degree is not the end-all be-all, but you've just got to work that much harder to prove yourself and build a resume first to show you have the experience. Oh. Also, I should. Oh, the no. College of Life is 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 incredibly important. I went to West Point, didn't finish. Went to University of Georgia, didn't finish. I still don't have a college degree, and I've got a publishing out, uh, outfit called Evil Beagle that's doing pretty okay. And hey, I wrote a couple of books for Sam, so I, you know it can be done. No, no, certainly. And I apologize. I'm certainly not meaning to slight either of you. Um, I was actually sort of digressing more after on just general job outlooks uh, after listening well, to a lot of NPR yeah, articles. From, 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 from the perspective... will give you a, uh, give you a step up, but it's not necessary, but it's helpful. From, from, the, from <laughs> the perspective of someone who works in um, the video game industry as well, um, I would say it's definitely more important than uh, if you want to eventually work on some video games in, than to have a college degree than it is in the tabletop industry because 
uh, like Sean and like Daryl, I also don't have a degree. But I found that it rarely held me back in the tabletop industry, whereas in the video game world, there's actually been a couple of times where people have, have uh, unfortunately, you know, kind of passed me up because of that. So just something to keep in mind. I think I think that's one of the advantages of the role-playing game industry is that because a lot of these companies, aside from, you know, the big names, are a lot smaller operations that, and again, outsider looking in saying this, but it because it's an actual human being that's in charge of everything as opposed to this corporate machine and mechanics and, well, we have X, X, and Y requirements. So that might be one of the factors why it's not such a holdup in the tabletop industry is because it's a lot smaller. It's a lot more close-knit. So it's a lot more likely that someone's actually going to look at your resume as opposed to just glancing at it and says, oh, no college degree, trash pile. Yeah. You didn't meet our corporate requirements according to our handbook, section 14A. And that's that's exactly what happened to me in the video game industry, so there you go. Yeah. But um, uh, Oh, sorry, I was just going to add one other thing. As a sort of a sum up on that, um, from the perspective of somebody who usually ends up hiring, uh, um, hiring the freelancers now, <laughs> um, one thing that I think so this works for big companies it also works for small companies or whatever it's important for anybody who wants to work as a freelancer to remember that the person on the other end um who's making the decision on who they're going to hire and who they're not going to hire they are looking at this as they are taking a risk they're going to be giving you a job and you know it needs to come back and they've got their own set of things to worry about and they need to know they can count on somebody which is i think why you get a lot of you get a lot of networking and you get a lot of people using people who have been recommended by friends or who they've worked with in the past. But overall... To use, to use Sean's uh, analogy, totally use me as a freelancer. Yes, I am there to be used. I am a piece of meat that will write gaming things for you. Exactly. But just whatever you can do to make yourself look like less of a risk, especially if you're starting out new and you don't know a lot of people, um, whether that's making yourself look more professional, whether that's making it um, showing that you can do the work by doing stuff in your spare time, or whether that's becoming really involved in the community so that uh, people see that you, so that the people running this uh, game may recognize your work and be like, oh yeah, I saw him do that fan supplement. I think we can, uh, I think we can te um, try him out on a uh, on a job. Whatever it is, you know, definitely do it, but uh, do. Do something to make people think that you're worth taking a chance on. And we're going to take a quick break to grab another round, but we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hello gamers, I'm Daryl Mott Jr. from Anacool News Tabletop and the Gamers Tavern Podcast, which you probably know because I'm betting I was just talking a second ago. I'm sure you already know about DriveThruRPG as it is the biggest repository for digital copies of your favorite games. Dungeons & Dragons, Shadowrun, Battletech, World of Darkness, Numenera, Fate, and so many more. And sometimes there are pennies on the dollar because, face it, PDFs can sometimes be so much more convenient than print copies, but if you need print copies, they sell those too. So if you want to support the Gamers Tavern podcast, click on the affiliate links in the show notes and check out Drive Through RPG.
And we're back on episode 12 of the Gamer's Tavern. Uh, Daryl and myself are joined by Sam Stewart and Sean Patrick Fannin. And tonight's topic is how to get into the gaming industry. And we just kind of finished talking about um, how you, you get hired. Um, now I think it's time to get into some of the more businessy aspects of working uh, in the gaming industry. So if you, if you were going to, to tell someone one of the best things about working in the gaming industry or one of the worst things about working in the gaming industry and you wanted to tie that into like doing business, uh, what would your answer be to that, Sean? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> this is the part I'm awful at. Let me just say, people tried to get me to get into being a publisher for years and years and years. Like, Sean, you know everybody. You've done everything except art, and I've even done cut-and-based art. I mean, so why, you know, you're like, well, why don't you want to, because I don't grok business. I understand its importance. I understand all this management stuff is, 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 is vital, but I don't grok it. I don't live it. I hate it with a passion. Uh, and it's just, it doesn't flow naturally for me. So my advice, my best advice is make sure that if you don't completely get it, make sure you're working with good people who do. When I say good people, I mean really. I don't mean just that they're skilled and competent, though that's important. Honest. Trustworthy. Yes. yes. And yes. you genuinely can trust them. And, and you know, there's, there's that fine line. You don't want to work with family in every situation because that can create tension at home. But you definitely want to work with somebody that you could live with uh, at the very least. Uh, you, you, you definitely want to – or the, and, and, and also there are certain tasks – that if you're not going to be able to manage on your own, then you've got to be willing to to account for uh, that as part of your your planning. So, for example, at least a very good tax person, having somebody to help you manage your taxes. Uh, if you if nothing else, walk away with this note. The only reason I'm able to do this is because I found somebody who's good at helping the take care of the taxes issues. Because I'm not, I'm horrible at it. I have no business touching taxes. So I have somebody that I can trust that can do that. And if, if you have that, that's something huge. I kind of want to point out. Unless you have a full-time salary job at one of these big companies, if you're a freelancer or if you're self-publishing or if you're a publisher yourself, you are going to have to file your own taxes and you are not getting any sort – you're not getting payroll deductions. No, It's a completely no. different beast when you're filing on your own. And I've done accounting work before. Trust me. You either want to make sure you understand perfectly the law or you want to hire someone to do it. Don't get one of those – little software downloads and trusted caveat none of us none of us is a lawyer <laughs> so there you go That's i'm not a lawyer but i have worked in accounting so there's my position on that but yeah you really 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 if you can even remotely afford it you want a good accountant i was just gonna say a couple hundred bucks at uh tax season may seem like a uh decent amount of money but it the headache it'll save you in the uh, long run is probably well worth it and it's better than a couple thousand dollar fines from the irs and your audit mm -hmm. okay sean did you have more to say about that well i'd also say you know it, it it's not a bad idea depending on what you're going to be doing to go ahead and familiarize yourself with some of the basic document type things like basic legal documents that that are 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 dealt with in this industry go out there and google search on things like non-disclosure agreements, go ahead and read one or two, make sure you know what that actually means, make sure you understand when you sign a non-disclosure agreement, you know, what it is you're agreeing to, and make sure also you know, that when somebody hands you a non-disclosure agreement that they haven't slipped in something that would be far worse for you 
than uh, normally what you would expect. You know, like the, if you sign an NDA and find out that you know it meant that anything you talked about about your ideas suddenly become theirs just because you talked to them. I'm not saying that's going to happen. In fact, is this industry is is for the most part incredibly scrupulous and ethical. It's one of the reasons I love working in this business. But it's still not a good idea to go in completely blind and, and ignore reality. Not until you get to know the, who the players are and who you know you can trust. If I can riff on that for a second, I would say uh, he's got a very good point. But also, it, it, this ties into like my point about contracts I mentioned earlier. If you are working with a contract and you're working with somebody, uh, my advice to you is to make sure you understand what is expected of you. When you're exactly how many words or exactly how many pieces of art. Uh, what the deadlines are, and what your compensation is, and how quickly that's going to get paid to you. Um, generally speaking, there's three types of compensation that you're going to get um, in the gaming industry. Obviously, getting paid, uh, which not getting paid very much, for, let's be honest, but you're going to get paid some money. You're going to get credit for your name in the book, and uh, do, do be sure to contact your people to make sure that they're spelling your name correctly, because that's always good. <laughs> and uh, the last thing is not ubiquitous but is common and that's a uh, comp copy of whatever you worked on and that should be especially the first and the last the payment and the uh, comp copies should be spelled out in your contract yeah ideally that is the case yeah. and if they're not spelled out you should probably ask some questions i, I will just say as a, as, a, as a shameless plug but actually it's not because I, I just it's the truth fantasy flight absolutely has been top flight uh, in regards to dealing with uh, uh, that kind of thing compared to most of the companies that we've done business with. Uh, so it was a real well, pleasure dealing well, with that. Well, thank you. And honestly, it's it's been a long... I mean, I, I just see it on the uh, end of the person who is issuing them and then to a certain extent it makes, makes them fulfilled. But it's been a long time developing our, you know, our contract system and so forth. And... You know, I I remember what it I want to remember what it was like five years ago, and you know, actually I remember what it was like before that because I did a very small job for Fantasy Flight way back in the way back in the day. Um, so, but yeah, no. Yeah, it reminds um, me we sorry, need to talk I'm about comic copies. Totally sometime. rambling there. But uh, on that, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I also want to call out uh, Pinnacle as being a really great company to work with. Uh, they've they've been exceptionally good with me with uh, payments and contracts and getting things. Uh, uh, on time, so uh, there's a, there's definitely some really good companies out there to work with. And we're not saying that companies we're not mentioning here are bad companies to work for. We're just highlighting the best of the best, right? Now. Yeah, and this is our own personal experience, and not you know, just your mileage may vary. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you gotta watch out for those Melia Vaya guys. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh no no no! Wow. <laughs> wow, burn. I would like some butter for that burn, please. Okay, so um, so Sean answered it pretty good. Uh, Sam, how about your turn? What is some things about the business side of working in the industry you would uh, want to tell us? Business side, some? business side. Um, oh, shoot, you've already covered contracts. Um, and uh, Sean, I think, has a great point about uh, management. Um, I think... As a free, I think if you're working full time as a freelancer, which honestly is more what we're talking about at this point, if you're working full time as an employee in any sense, then it becomes a you know it's a job and and all that sort of thing. But if you're working full time as a freelancer, you have to you have to recognize that your payment, even contractual payment, is going to um, 
you know, most contracts will specify when that money's going to come um, come in. Ours usually, for example, are contingent on the licensor approving the material that that has been um, worked on. So that can usually be that can be um, a month or two after it's turned in, and in something like in the industry, it can certainly be a lot longer than that um, in, for some companies. Long, sorry, long story short, I think the most important thing is that you have to be very good at budgeting your income and n- keeping track of all the different jobs you have. You have to be uh, following up on your uh, following up on open jobs with your um, the companies that you've done the work for. You know, probably keeping a big spreadsheet that says what you've uh, been paid for and what you haven't been paid for, and um, if the company hasn't paid you and is you know now start. Yeah, now starting to breach their contract yeah, and track. you need to um, send them a polite email reminding them that they uh, should have gotten you that paycheck already. It, you know, and I have actually going through that with my last day job employer. They haven't paid me my last paycheck yet in the time of recording. It's been almost three weeks, so I had to call them uh, yesterday. So, and this is completely not related to the tabletop gaming industry. So, yeah, know the labor laws in your country. Know your contract. And or your country, your county, your state, and yeah, be aware of what you're owed and be polite and professional. Don't do what I do and scream <laughs> at the accounting person. But I, I burned that bridge and I didn't care. What are some of the biggest pitfalls someone who's trying to get in the industry might fall into? Because the first one that pops into my mind is that one thing I've learned reporting on the industry and doing this podcast is exactly how small. The tabletop gaming industry is everyone pretty much knows everyone, or it is a very they know someone industry. who knows someone else. So, I, the biggest advice I can think of, again, outside of looking in, but it's Wheaton's Law: Don't be a dick. Because if you are a jerk, if you badmouth another employer, if you if you're running around saying bad stuff, it's going to get around to everyone else, and no one's going to want to work with you because if you're negative and why would I hire you if the last guy you worked for, you just spent three months running no, down your block? No, I think that's a, I think it's a good, really good piece of advice, honestly. That, um, and it's even more risky these days with the way that the industry has really taken up residence on the internet, and I think that's offered a lot of great things for the industry. I mean, e-publishing, not the least of them, but it does mean that uh, now. You know, before, if you wrote something in a, uh, if you said something nasty about somebody, it'd have to get published in an article, maybe. Um, but uh, now that article. Maybe a fan letter in the front of uh, White Dwarf <laughs> yeah, or something. Or, um, yeah, or Dragon Magazine. But now, I mean, geez, you publish something uh, on your blog that's nasty about somebody else, and. It's there forever. Yep. It is Google. It's pricing, in fact, you can't get rid of it either. Yeah. I won't certainly won't give any examples, but um, I mean, I think we all know of like we we've all seen articles pe- written by people um, about other people in the industry that uh, are not particularly flattering. And it, oh, it's worse than that. Know. Facebook, man. I mean, there are certain <laughs> certain colleagues that we all have who you know they've always been curmudgeonly and always been highly opinionated and always been firebrands. Uh, and I guarantee you we're all thinking uh, the same name as soon as I said that, uh, as far as w- at least one person uh, who 
at at one time this person you know would be like that and it would be pretty much only in professional circles so everyone in professional circles like oh well you know there there they go again but their public presence before the ubiquitousness of uh or the ubiquity of uh facebook and social networking not so much you might catch rumors if you happen to know the right people now because such people don't have any filters and don't care to now that impacts their professional presence whether they like it or not people see that kind of thing and go Really like what that person wrote. Really like what that person designed. Not so sure I like that person enough to buy anything they do anymore. Um, you know, that kind I, of... I, I think, you know, we can all point to someone like Orson Scott Card and mm. some of the controversy surrounding him as a good example. Yeah, I think he's fair game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, no. even even just the, these people are good people, right? This is, this, is a cool, this is a cool person I'm talking about uh, in person, but online that person presents a very caustic, uh, persona when when upset about something and uh, you can respect that but you can also acknowledge that that's gonna create i've even done it myself when i've gotten my 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 head up uh about a particular political subject that i think is incredibly important i have risked and even caused uh bad feelings with uh people who support my 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 work not wanting to support me anymore because they so completely disagreed with me on that political point that it I lost them as fans and customers. And you see that a lot on so Will Wheaton's Twitter account. Anytime he posts anything political or posts any sort of link, he gets about 80, 100 people retweeting back to him. You're just an actor. Shut up. What do you have opinions for? I'm never doing anything. Well, I think what Sean's saying is you're allowed to have an opinion, but I think what Sean and Sam are both saying, actually, is that you should you should comport yourself professionally. And that is especially true when it comes to the Internet. I actually have a story about this that involves Twitter, which is another social media that will get you in trouble if you're not careful. As much as I would like to, I'm not going to name the name, uh, <laughs> but it is a person who is very high up at one of the big companies we have mentioned on this podcast already. Um, I like Big Bang Theory. I know, I know. Don't, don't, don't lynch me yet. I understand why people hate Big Bang Theory. As a TV show, I understand your concerns. I love the show for different reasons, and I see beyond the flaws that a lot of other people see. If you don't like Big Bang Theory, if you hate Big Bang Theory, I understand. But what happened was they had an episode in their last season, which was their D&D episode. And it got a lot of press in the gaming industry because, hey, one of the top-rated shows on network television is covering D&D. And everyone's reaction was almost immediately insanely negative it was the biggest hate orgy is the only word i can describe it as <laughs> of anything i've ever seen in my life of people just wanting to love this episode and this was two days before the episode had even aired an episode of a tv show these people don't watch and i made a comment on twitter saying oh i love how people keep commenting on a show they haven't that hasn't even aired yet and I tagged a bunch of these people that were on my feed that were saying these things. And one of these people, which is a very high-placed game designer, came back to me. And this is after I had the Anacool News column, by the way. I am a reporter in the game industry. Comes back and says, I love how you're a complete piece of shit. Wow. And then blocks me on Twitter so I can't even follow him to get news from the guy. Wow. Oof. So... 
yeah, that anything, escalated quickly. So I'm going to tell you right. I'm going to tell you right now. Anything, anything that guy has done in the gaming industry, I haven't fucking reported on. <laughs> okay. Well, let's so, let's try and keep a focus on the positive here, and I'm just going to kick back that one question that about is, the stories of the freelancers. I just want to give uh, a story of how why no, you need to watch what you're saying because yeah. if you get into these sort of heated flame wars, you don't know who's on the other end of it. Nobody wins. Let's just put it that way. Nobody wins in a flame war. So, Sam or Sean, which one of you wants to pick up the, the, the gauntlet that I have thrown of the, the fun freelancer story? Uh, my first official professional Gen Con, 89. Uh, I'm with the Champions guys. I'm working there on Crown Booth. I'm helping run games. I'm a big puppy. I'm jumping on everybody. I'm peeing on the furniture. You know, I'm all kinds of excited. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, that's... Uh, that, that, you got to be careful about that. When you when you get in by getting your first professional credit, you've got to not go crazy. Enjoy it. Embrace the joy. Don't be the big puppy jumping up on everybody and peeing all over the furniture because that just that I had to I had to overcome that a little bit. Uh, um, you know when I because it was like you get a big head. Oh my god, I'm in. I'm a somebody. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, you're somebody in a you're a zealous celebrity at best for a moment. Come on, you got to chill and let it build up and 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 do keep doing the work is the more important part. Um, but okay, so I, but I had visions of you know one day I'd love to be somebody that other people know, right? I fully admit this. It would be really cool. Hey, you're known for your work. So cut to a couple of years ago. Um, I have done some stuff. Right, I've got a pretty cool resume of work going on. I'm working for uh, Drive Through RPG and RPG Now at the time, and I'm still very close to those guys. By the way, would still be working for them if if Steve and I had not decided. Steve Wick, the guy who owns the company, basically said, uh, "You need to be writing and publishing because that's your first best destiny." He played he played Spock to my Kirk with that one, but uh, you know, but at the time I was I was with them and well well known for for the. Uh, the newsletter and the stuff that I was doing, you know, notes from Sean's desk, you know, you know, bring Dyson chips, the comic strip I was doing, all sort of stuff. So I've got that going on. People still talk about the fancy role playing gamers Bible. I'm doing the Star Wars stuff. I'm doing the Savage Worlds and Shine Tar stuff. I've got pretty decent flow of work going out there. And I'm with Corinne, who's my lady love, who you know, came into all this fresh faced, but just bemused and amused and enjoying herself. She's a full on gamer and, and totally into it, but she's still getting accustomed to the idea because she didn't know who i was she was a gamer but she had no idea who i was uh before we met which was kind of cool uh and so you got to know that i was known and it was always amusing to her to see the reactions of people who were fans so i'm kind of i have to admit i'm kind of doing a little bit of the ego thing i'm kind of a little bit inflated at this point because here i got my girl all these guys are you know i'm going around at gen con it's gen con i'm, I'm talking about at a party, you know, these people are, you know, having fun and everything like that. You're holding yeah, court. You're holding court, yeah. So, and this one guy's like, wait a minute, is that Sean Patrick Fannin? That guy's <laughs> a legend! <laughs> and just cracks up, and I'm like, you know, I'm, 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 grinning, I'm, I'm grinning, I'm beaming, and stuff like that, and I'm, you know, so, uh, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, so yeah, um, you know, thanks a lot, but, uh, so come on over, and, you know, we're drinking everything like that, so what did uh, what was it? You know, the, the fancy role playing gamers Bible. You know, what did, what is it that? Uh, 
oh no, dude, you did this this thing that got out on the internet on a, on AOL way back when called the Fanon Protocols for Champions. That was amazing. I didn't know you'd done anything else. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this guy was going on about some fan sub thing I'd done uh, as a as an additional set of rules for Champions back in the '80s, and had no <laughs> idea that I'd even done anything else. Right? He had no concept that I'd had a career. <laughs> From that point forward, he just all he knew was this thing I'd done that I hadn't gotten paid for. So, but he loved it. But he loved yeah, it. Yeah, he did, and I, it was gratifying. But it was still like, here I am, all in my cups about all the stuff I'm doing now, and I'm a professional in the industry. He had no idea I was an industry professional. He just thought I was some guy who'd done a cool champions thing back in the day. So that was uh, that was both. It was enlightening and fun, but it was also humbling because at the fact that the fact of the matter was. That's what was a matter to him, right? Is that I'd done a cool set of rules that he really enjoyed playing with back. Didn't care about anything else I'd done. In fact, he was hacked off. I wasn't still doing heroism stuff, which, by the way, is a constant thing I get still. <laughs> People are like, why are you doing heroism stuff? But that's hey, Sean, hey, Sean, Sean, why aren't you doing more heroism stuff? <laughs> <laughs> All right. My t- so my turn to uh, come in and save Sean. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm afraid my story doesn't have uh it'll actually mean a lot to Ross but uh it won't mean as much to people who aren't familiar with Games Workshop and Warhammer 40,000. After I had started working for uh Fantasy Flight and finally was working on the role-playing game department, Ross took Rogue Trader and he had done the core rulebook and then he started working on Death Watch, and that's when I got a chance to start working on Rogue Trader. And honestly, one of the Rogue Trader is still one of the best things I've ever um, gotten a chance to work on. Um, but thank you. That, that's that's there, that's there's that moment neat for right now, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you know my, how much I loved Rogue Trader. <laughs> yeah. The sort of the pinnacle of that was when I got to do a, a book called Battlefleet Coronas, which was oh yeah, yep. R- Ross, you and I both loved, still love Battlefleet, the old Battlefleet Gothic game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Spa- um, wooden ships and Iron Men, except it's in space. And Battlefleet Coronas was the chance to actually do something that was an homage to that in our new Rogue Trader system, and at the same time. We got a word, the word from GW that Andy Chambers, no, no, it wasn't, we didn't get from GW, but we had heard that Andy Chambers was interested in doing some uh, writing for us. And he was the creator of Battlefleet Gotham. Yes, so I was going to say, so this is totally an insular story, I admit, for those of you who don't recognize this stuff, but basically this was a chance to meet, um, to interact with somebody who had done the most, one of my favorite games of all time. And in the end, was able to um, was able to work with Andy Chambers, and he wrote up this whole section on living in spaceships in 40k that is still it's a place of honor on my bookshelf, and I still read it for fun. It was like we we made this love letter to this game that we enjoyed so much, and then while we're writing the love letter, the original guy who made the game comes over and goes, "Hey, can I help you write this love letter?" <laughs> it's exa- <laughs> that's it exactly. <laughs> and and so yeah, that that, that was truly special. Yeah. I, I think that's a good one to, to point out. Yeah, 
you know, maybe, and maybe that's uh, something to take away from. The one nice thing about the industry being a little, um, a little insular and a little more closed in, in, in Sean's case, in my case, um, sometimes you actually do get a chance to meet, interact with the people that you're like, those people are amazing, I really want, wish I could meet them someday. And if it was like an actor or something, a Sandra Bullock or, a t um, or um, George Clooney or something, fat chance. But in this industry, you might actually just get that chance. Sam Stewart? That guy is a legend! Oh, that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can I can actually pull off that one a little bit and tell a story of my own. Uh, I I've only written for Anticle News for about ten months right now, but before then I've known all the guys. I hung out with them in chat rooms for over a decade. That's actually how I got the job. Was I knew all the guys at Anticle News, which again networking. But <laughs> uh, I went to uh, their Buttonamathon Film Festival, which is this big twenty four hour film festival, invitation only that they do in Austin every year. And there are a lot of celebrities that show up to this. So I've met people like Elijah Wood. I got to hang out with him. He's really awesome. He's actually kind of hobbit-sized as it is. So I'm sure they saved a lot of money on special effects because he's like three foot nothing. Um, I'm just kidding, Elijah. Uh, because I know he if listens Elijah to Wood my is podcast. Elijah Wood podcast, yeah, we're, we're doing way better than I thought we were. <laughs> well he might in a little bit i don't know but um yeah i've met all these i've met mel gibson for god's sake i've met peter jackson i've met all these uh i have spent more time talking to eli roth than i have spent watching his movies <laughs> and wow. for me meeting these people is like yay cool awesome whoop de do but when i meet someone that i'm a fan of when it's my thing i will freak the fuck out <laughs> and become that gibbering fanboy we all know. I know I've talked on this podcast before. I've met Pat Oswalt. And Ooh. the way I met him was I saw him on a street corner. I met it I was at uh uh South by Southwest at the film festival and he was standing outside the theater on his cell phone talking to him Oh my god, that's Pat Oswalt. And I start to walk up to him and say, No, he's on his phone. Don't be that guy, don't be that guy, don't be that guy, don't be that guy. And then like 0.8 seconds after he closed his cell phone, I walk up to him and say, Mr. Oswald? <laughs> so I'm a huge fan, and I just wanted to say I love all the work you've done. I've been a fan of yours for years, and I'm going to leave now before I get slobbery fanboy drool all over you. And then Pat and Oswald laughed at my stupid joke. And we sat there talking for another like 10 or 15 minutes, but in the back of my head the entire time I'm like, oh my god, it made Pat and Oswald laugh. <laughs> and this is be this is before King of Queens. This is before uh, Ratatouille, and he wasn't the house, more or less household name he is now. I went to a convention this past summer, where back to back interviews that got scheduled with me were: I interviewed Jim Butcher, Ooh. <laughs> and then not only when we were done with the interview, he was like, uh, "I'm just hanging out and eating breakfast. You want to hang out?" I'm like, "Sure, I will hang out with you, Jim Butcher." It, it was like that complete Wayne's World scene where he meets Alice Cooper. That was what I was doing, but I was trying to play it off as best I can. But the second I walked outside to smoke a cigarette, I'm like, oh my god, I just hung out with Jim Butcher and we talked about movies for a while. And then I had to sit down and and then I had to sit down and interview Bruce Cordell and Robert Schwab. Wow. And I'm oh, like, man. And, so yeah, uh, tough morning. Like within like within like three, and this is like the column was kind of catching traction a little bit and everything, but this was my first really encounter with people that i aside from 
meeting Patton and a couple other incidents along the years. It was my first time where I was like back to back to back, to, like a three hour stretch of, oh my God, I get to meet people that are my heroes. And the biggest thing you have to pound into your head is be cool. You can nerd out later, <laughs> which good advice, which is a very good thing to remember, especially in this day and age. It's like, oh, hey, I'm going to be right back and you need to run to the restroom. Then you go to the restroom, pull out your smartphone and go, oh, my God, I'm just talking to so and so on Twitter and Facebook and whatever. And you can nerd out there, get it out of your system and then go back and sit down. So, Mr. Butcher, uh, what did you think of Man of Steel? <laughs> so, we're actually at the uh, last call. The uh, bartender's giving me the eye, and I think some of the city guard might still be looking for Sean. Oh, crap. So, we're going to... Those dwarves are going to demand you pay breakages for all that booze you spilled. Oh, man, I knew that was going to happen. My bar tab's big enough here as it is. We're going to let Sam and Sean uh, kind of uh, bow out and tell us just briefly where they can be found on the internet and what their latest thing upcoming you should be looking for is. Go ahead, Sam. Um, I can be found on the internet on uh, Fantasy Flight's homepage, and my latest thing are a pair of books for Edge of the Empire called uh, Dangerous Covenants and Sons of Fortune. All right. Awesome. And Sean Patrick Fannin, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well, Sons of Fortune, um, I actually, uh, I'm in that one. <laughs> yes, he is. The, uh, well, evilbeaglegames.com is the, is the, is the company site, but shintar.com actually is where you want to go for all the cool Shintar stuff, the Justice in Life campaign, which, uh, as I said, we've really, I think we're doing the world's first true massively multiplayer tabletop RPG. <laughs> uh, in a way that, that has never really been seen or done before. And it's crazy and it's mad. Yeah, I'm really intrigued about this. Uh, well, yeah, we, we definitely, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it because um, every time I talk to anybody about this, they lose their mind. I mean, Peter Atkinson looked at me like I was crazy and then he started taking notes. So I thought, <laughs> oh, I may have started something there. But uh, so that was that was kind of cool. And, uh, and Lisa, Lisa Stevens at Paizo put her arm around my shoulder at a party and said, you're insane. But if anybody can pull this off, you can. But we're all watching. I was like, oh, well, that's not intimidating. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, you know, so that's that shine tar is the big deal. And the big thing coming out, we're we're hoping for Christmas. Uh, the guys at Savage Mojo tell me it is going to happen. Savage or uh, shine tar legends unleash, which is the companion book to arise which is the heroic and legendary stuff, which uh, you've never seen anything like this for Savage World. It's going to blow your mind. Um, I, I really blew the doors off on it with that one. I'm um, very excited, very proud about it. And, of course, there's another 30-something books scheduled after that. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> of course, there's the, the stuff I'm doing with the Accursed guys. There's stuff I'm doing with the Battle for Oz guys. I'm doing some something uh, for um, uh, Dark uh, Void Star Press, uh, you know, savaging their stuff. Um Savaging people's products seems to have become a cottage industry for me. So that's a that's a lot of stuff that's coming up. I'm I'm a, I'm a stretch goal on quite a few Kickstarters at this point. I'm having to actually start saying no because <laughs> I the can't do anymore. The hardest thing to do. So there's that. The start, oh God. Oh, you're, we'll, when you get to the point where oh, you, you start saying no, be willing to say it because and and I'll just go ahead and admit this right now because let us teach through example. Sam, you know what I'm talking about. I took on too yeah. much. I had to. I ended up messing up, and and uh, you can once you've established up in the industry, you can have a few mistakes, but they're not good to make. And I made a mistake. I took on too much work. I got myself back against the wall, and I blew it with the Fantasy Flight Star Wars project. And I'll just say that right here and apologize to Sam on air that I'm, I'm sorry that happened, and I blew it. And it's the kind of thing you don't want to do. And it happened because I took on too over commitment is a is a common 
thing that can happen to freelancers. So and that's definitely watch out for it. Great lesson for all you aspiring freelancers or full-time employees out there. Make sure that you can handle the workload you take on because delivery dates are really important. And if you, in this if you have a problem, do what Sean did and talk to your developer and tell, let him know. Communications. No, absolutely. And thanks, Sean. I'll definitely pass that on too. So guys, it has been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Sam Stewart, Sean Fannin. Uh, we have been uh, very grateful to have you guys join us on the Gamers Tavern. Thank you. Bottoms up. We'd like to once again thank Sam Stewart and Sean Patrick Fannin for taking the time out to be with us tonight. If you're listening to this at some point after the weekend following the posting, I'm going to have a blog post up with a bunch of useful links if you're interested in getting into the gaming industry, that will hopefully save you some Google searches. Because of the holiday time crunch, I didn't get a chance to sort through the emails and comments this past week, but that just means we'll have more for next week. And just to remind you again, I'm going to be at Space City Con in Galveston, Texas from January 3rd through the 5th, and I'm working on a little surprise for our listeners, so make sure to track me down if you're there. You can find out more about Space City Con at SpaceCityCon.com. Ross is going to be at ChupacabraCon in Austin, Texas from January 17th through the 19th. And you can find out more about that at ChupacabraCon.com. God, tongue twister. <clears throat> uh, he's also going to be at GingisCon in Aurora, Colorado from February 13th through the 16th. And you guys know this is the con that Ross goes on and on about, about how awesome it is for gaming. Uh, he's going to be running a lot of games at both of these, including demos of Accursed. Speaking of Accursed, it is now officially released as of this weekend, and you can get it right now. Just follow the link in the show notes, and it will take you straight to it. The Gamers Tavern Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 license. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, the tavern is closed. <laughs>